Enoch and the Gorilla by Flannery O'Connor Enoch Emery had borrowed his landlady's umbrella, and he discovered as he stood in the entrance of the drugstore, trying to open it, that it was at least as old as she was. When he finally got it hoisted, he pushed his dark glasses back on his eyes and re-entered the downpour. The umbrella was one his landlady had stopped using fifteen years before, which was the only reason she had lent it to him. And as soon as the rain touched the top of it, it came down with a shriek and stabbed him in the back of the neck. He ran a few feet with it over his head, and then backed into another store entrance and removed it. Then, to get it up again, he had to place the tip of it on the ground and ram it open with his foot. He ran out again, holding his hand up near the spokes to keep them open, and this allowed the handle, which was carved to represent the head of a fox terrier, to jab him every few seconds in the stomach. He proceeded for another quarter of a block this way before the back half of the silk stood up off the spokes and allowed the storm to sweep down his collar. Then he ducked under the marquee of a movie house. It was a Saturday, and there were a lot of children standing more or less in line in front of the ticket box. Enoch was not very fond of children, but children always seemed to like to look at him. The line turned and twenty or thirty eyes began to observe him with steady interest. The umbrella had assumed an ugly position, half up and half down, and the half that was up was about to come down and spill more water under his collar. When this happened, the children laughed and jumped up and down. Enoch glared at them and turned his back and lowered his dark glasses. He found himself facing a life-size four-color picture of a gorilla. Over the gorilla's head, written in red letters, was Gonga, Giant Jungle Monarch, and Great Star, here in person. At the level of the gorilla's knee, there was more that said, Gonga will appear in person in front of the theater at 12 a.m. today. A free pass to the first ten brave enough to step up and shake his hand. Enoch was usually thinking of something else at the moment that fate began to draw back her leg to kick him. When he was four years old, his father had brought him home a tin box from the penitentiary. It was orange and had a picture of some peanut brittle on the outside of it, and green letters that said, A Nutty Surprise. When Enoch had opened it, a coiled piece of steel had sprung out at him, and broken off the ends of his front two teeth. His life was so full of so many happenings like that that it would seem he should have been more sensitive to his times of danger. He stood there and read the poster twice through carefully. To his mind, an opportunity to insult a successful ape came from the hand of Providence. He turned around and asked the nearest child what time it was. The child said that it was 12.10 and that Gonga was already ten minutes late. Another child said that it may be the rain had delayed him. Another said, no, not the rain. His director was taking a plane from Hollywood. Enoch gritted his teeth. The first child said that if he wanted to shake the star's hands, he would have to get in line like the rest of them and wait his turn. Enoch got in line. A child asked him how old he was. Another observed that he had funny-looking teeth. He ignored all this as best he could and began to straighten out the umbrella. In a few minutes, a black truck turned around the corner and came slowly up the street in the heavy rain. Enoch pushed the umbrella under his arm and began to squint through his dark glasses. As the truck approached, a phonograph inside it began to play Tarara Boom D.I., but the music was almost drowned out by the rain. There was a large illustration of a blonde on the outside of the truck, advertising some picture other than the gorillas. The children held their line carefully as the truck stopped in front of the movie house. The back door of it was constructed like a paddy wagon, with a gate, but the ape was not at it. 
Two men in raincoats got out of the cab park, cursing, and ran around to the back and opened the door. One of them stuck his hand in and said, Okay, make it snappy, will you? The other jerked his thumb at the children and said, Get back, will you? Will you get back? A voice on the record inside the truck said, Here's Ganga, folks, roaring Ganga and a great star. Give Ganga a big hand, folks. And the voice was barely a mumble in the rain. The man who was waiting by the door of the truck stuck his head in again. Okay, will you get out, he said. There was a faint thump somewhere inside the van. After a second, a dark furry arm emerged just enough for the rain to touch it, and then drew back inside. God damn the man who was under the marquee, said. He took off his raincoat and threw it to the man by the door, who threw it into the wagon. After two or three minutes more, the gorilla appeared at the door, with the raincoat buttoned up to his chin and the collar turned up. There was an iron chain hanging from around his neck. The man grabbed it and pulled him down, and the two of them bound up under the marquee together. A motherly-looking woman was in the glass ticket box, getting the passes ready for the first ten children brave enough to step up and shake hands. The gorilla ignored the children entirely and followed the man over to the other side of the entrance, where there was a small platform raised about a foot off the ground. He stepped up on it and turned, facing the children, and began to growl. His growls were not so much loud as poisonous. They appeared to issue from a black heart. Enoch was terrified, and if he had not been surrounded by the children, he would have run away. "'We'll step up first,' the man said. "'Come on, come on, we'll step up first. A free pass to the first kid stepping up.' There was no movement from the group of children. The man glared at them. "'What's the matter with you kids?' he barked. "'You yellow?' "'He won't hurt you as long as I got him by his chain.' He tightened his grip on the chain and jangled it to show them that he was holding it securely. After a minute, a little girl separated herself from the group. She had the long wood-shaving curls and a fierce triangular face. She moved up to within four feet of the star. Okay, okay, the man said, rattling his chain. Make it snappy. The ape reached out and gave her a quick handshake. By this time there was another little girl ready and then two boys. The line reformed and began to move up. The gorilla kept his hand extended and turned his head away with a bored look at the rain. Enoch had got over his fear and was trying frantically to think of an obscene remark that would be suitable to insult him with. Usually he didn't have any trouble with this kind of composition, but nothing came to him now. His brain, both parts, was completely empty. He couldn't think even of the insulting phrases he used every day. There were only two children in front of him by now. The first one shook hands and stepped aside. Enoch's heart was beating violently. The child in front of him finished and stepped aside and left him facing the ape, who took his hand with an automatic motion. It was the first hand that had been extended to Enoch since he had come to the city. It was warm and soft. For a second he only stood there, clasping it. Then he began to stammer. My, my name is Enoch Emery, he mumbled. I attended the Road Mill Boys Bible Academy. I work at the city zoo. I seen two of your pictures. I'm only eighteen years old, but I already work for the city. My daddy made me come and his voice cracked. The star leaned slightly forward, and a change came in his eyes. An ugly pair of human ones moved closer and squinted at Enoch from behind the celluloid pair. You go to hell, a surly voice inside the ape suit said, low but distinctly, and the hand was jerked away. Enoch's humiliation was so sharp and painful that he turned around three times before he realized which direction he wanted to go in. Then he ran off into the rain as fast as he could.
In spite of himself, Enoch couldn't get over the expectation that something was going to happen to him. The virtue of hope in Enoch was made up of two parts suspicion and one part lust. It operated on him all the rest of the day. He had only a vague idea of what he wanted, but he was not a boy without ambition. He wanted to become something. He wanted to better his condition. He wanted some day to see a line of people waiting to shake his hand. All afternoon he fidgeted and fooled in his room, biting his nails and shredding what was left of the silk off the lady's umbrella. Finally he denuded it entirely and broke off the spokes. What was left was a black stick with a sharp steel point at one end and a dog's head at the other. It might have been some instrument for some specialized kind of torture that had gone out of fashion. Enoch walked up and down his room with it under his arm and realized that it would distinguish him on the sidewalks. About seven o'clock in the evening, he put on his coat and took the stick and headed for a little restaurant two blocks away. He had the sense that he was setting off to get some honor, but he was very nervous, as if he were afraid he might have to snatch it instead of receive it. He never set out for anything without eating first. The restaurant was called the Paris Diner. It was a tunnel about six feet wide, located between a shoeshine parlor and a dry-cleaning establishment. Enoch slid in and climbed up on the far stool at the counter and said he would have a bowl of split-pea soup and a chocolate malted milkshake. The waitress was a tall woman with a big yellow dental plate and the same color hair done up in a black hairnet. One hand never left her hip. She filled orders with the other one. Although Enoch came in every night, she had never learned to like him. Instead of filling his order, she began to fry bacon. There was only one other customer in the place, and he had finished his meal and was reading a newspaper. There was no one to eat the bacon but her. Enoch reached over the counter and prodded her hip with the stick. Listen here, he said. I gotta go. I'm in a hurry. Go then, she said. Her jaw began to work as she stared into the skillet with a fixed attention. Let me just have a piece of that at cake yonder, he said, pointing to a half pink and yellow cake on a round glass stand. I think I got something to do. I gotta be going. Set it up there next to him, he said, indicating the customer reading the newspaper. He slid over the stools and began reading the outside sheets of the man's paper. The man lowered the paper and looked at him. Enoch smiled. The man raised the paper again. Can I borrow some of your paper that you ain't studying? Enoch asked. The man lowered it again and stared at him. He had muddy, unflinching eyes. He leafed deliberately through the paper and shook out the sheet with the comic strips and handed it to Enoch. It was Enoch's favorite part. He read it every evening like an office. While he ate the cake that the waitress had torpedoed down the counter at him, he read and felt himself surge with kindness and courage and strength. When he finished one side, he turned the sheet over and began to scan the advertisements for movies that filled up the other side. His eyes went over the columns without stopping. Then it came to a box that advertised Ganga, giant jungle monarch, and listed the theaters he would visit on his tour and the hours he would be at each one. In thirty minutes, he would arrive at the Victory on 57th Street, and that would be his last appearance in the city. If anyone had watched Enoch read this, he would have seen a certain transformation in his countenance. It still shone with the inspiration he had absorbed from the comic strips, but something else had come over it a look of awakening. The waitress happened to turn around to see if he hadn't gone. What's the matter with you? she said. Did you swallow a seed? I know what I want, Enoch murmured. I know what I want too, she said with a dark look. Enoch felt for his stick and laid his change on the counter. I gotta be going. Don't let me keep you, she said. You may not see me again, he said.
the way I am. Anyway, I don't see it will be all right with me, she said. Enoch left. It was a pleasant, damp evening. The puddles on the sidewalk shone, and the store windows were steamy and bright with junk. He disappeared down a side street and made his way rapidly along the darker passages of the city, pausing only once or twice at the end of an alley to dart a glance in each direction before he ran on. The Victory was a small theater suited to the needs of the family in one of the closer subdivisions. He passed through a succession of lighted areas, and then on through more alleys, and then back streets until he came to the business section that surrounded it. Then he slowed up. He saw it about a block away, glittering in its darker setting. He didn't cross the street to the other side it was on, but kept on the far side, moving forward with his squint fixed on the glary spot. He stopped when he was directly across from it and hid himself in a narrow stair cavity that divided up the building. The truck that carried Gongo was parked across the street, and the star was standing under the marquee, shaking hands with an elderly woman. She moved aside, and a gentleman in a polo shirt stepped up and shook hands vigorously, like a sportsman. He was followed by a boy of about three who wore a tall western hat that nearly covered his face. He had to be pushed ahead by the line. Enoch watched for some time, his face working with envy. The small boy was followed by a lady in shorts, she by an old man who tried to draw extra attention to himself by dancing up instead of walking in a dignified way. Enoch suddenly darted across the street and slipped noiselessly in the open back door of the truck. The handshaking went on until the feature picture was ready to begin. Then the star got back into the van and the people filed into the theater. The driver and the man who was master of ceremonies climbed in the cab part, and the truck rumbled off. It crossed the city rapidly, and continued on the highways, going very fast. There came from the van certain thumping noises, not those of the normal gorilla, but they were drowned out by the drone of the motor and the steady sound of wheels against the road. The night was pale and quiet, with nothing to stir it but an occasional complaint from a hoot owl and the distant muted jarring of a freight train. The truck sped on until it slowed for a crossing, and as the van rattled over the tracks, a figure slipped from the door and almost fell, and then limped hurriedly off toward the woods. Once in the darkness of a pine thicket, he laid down a pointed stick he had been clutching and something bulky and loose that he had been carrying under his arm, and began to undress. He folded each garment neatly after he had taken it off and then stacked it on top of the last thing he had removed. When all of his clothes were in a pile, he took up the stick and began making a hole in the ground with it. The darkness of the pine grove was broken by paler moonlit spots that moved over him now and again and showed him to be Enoch. His natural appearance was marred by a gash that ran from the corner of his lip to his collarbone and by a lump under his eye that gave him a dulled, insensitive look. Nothing could have been more deceptive, for he was burning with the intensest kind of happiness. He dug rapidly until he had made a trench about a foot long and a foot deep. Then he placed the stack of clothes in it, and stood aside to rest for a second. Bearing his clothes was not a symbol to him of bearing his former self. He only knew he wouldn't need them anymore. As soon as he got his breath, he pushed the displaced dirt over the hole and stamped it down with his foot. He discovered while he did this that he still had his shoes on, and when he finished he removed them and threw them from him. Then he picked up the loose, bulky object and shook it vigorously. In the uncertain light, one of his lean white legs could be seen to disappear, and then the other, one arm and then the other, a black, heavier, shaggier figure replaced his. For an instant, it had two heads, 
one light and one dark, but after a second it pulled the dark back head over the other and corrected this. It busied itself with certain hidden fastenings and what appeared to be minor adjustments of its hide. For a time after this it stood very still and didn't do anything. Then it began to growl and beat its chest. It jumped up and down and flung its arms and thrust its head forward. The growls were thin and uncertain at first, but they grew louder after a second. They became low and poisonous. Louder again, low and poisonous again. They stopped altogether. The figure extended his hand, clutched nothing, and shook its arm vigorously. It withdrew the arm, extended again, clutched nothing, and shook. It repeated this four or five times. Then it picked up the pointed stick and placed it at a cocky angle under its arm and left the woods for the highway. No gorilla anywhere, Africa or California or New York, was happier than he.